Hello, welcome to A Disciple's Tidbit, a small seed of information to help grow your faith. My name is Craig, and I want to invite you to sit back and enjoy this mini-episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's A Disciple's Tidbit. So, obviously, I'm going to talk about something today that is in the news almost every single day and has been in the news every single day since I was a child way back in the day, and that is the Nation of Israel. The whole world has burdened themselves with the nation of Israel, creating a peace plan for that tiny little country. It's probably about the size of New Jersey in the Middle East. There's a whole bunch of other countries in the Middle East, but everybody concerns themselves with Israel. But why do Christians care at all about Israel? Unfortunately, though, that number seems to be going down and down and down the further along we go in time. Um, And I'm not sure completely why. When I first became a Christian, and I know this is anecdotal, but still, when I first became a Christian, I had an inexplicable and just overwhelming love for the Jewish people. I couldn't explain. I mean, I didn't have any ill will towards them before that. I didn't have any kind of uh, discriminating thoughts about them. I just, you know, well, they're the Jewish people. Okay, whatever. You know, it's like I'm not Jewish, so I don't really care. Now that I'm a Christian when I first became one, that is, I really just had this overwhelming love and desire for the Jewish people. I just really did. And I think I know why. I think obviously because the Holy Spirit has a overwhelming love for the Jewish people. The reason why is because I think this is best explained in a statement made by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. And I'm going to explain why it's stated this way. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So why would it be to the Jews first? A lot of people wonder. It's like, why in the world is this emphasis on the Jewish people? It's like, clearly, God has thrown them away. He has given all the promises of Israel to the church, and he's done with them forever, which is a bold-faced lie. That is not true. Replacement theology is probably one of the worst heresies And I do call it a heresy because it totally transforms the scriptures into something that it is not. And that is to say that basically you're going to have your best life now because all the prosperity promises given to ancient Israel in the Old Testament is now for the church. And we can have all this material blessing and all this and that. When in fact, the Lord promised the exact opposite. He said, basically, no student is above his teacher. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they seek to kill me, they're going to seek to kill you. A lot of people forget that about the Gospels. Anyway, so um, about what Jesus taught. The reason why it's to the Jew first is because the new covenant was prophesied to be given to ancient Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, in the latter portion of 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 the chapter, Ezekiel chapter 37, the end of Ezekiel chapter 39, Jeremiah 31, Daniel chapter 9, and it was prophesied what Jesus would do in Isaiah chapter 53. This was all over it when it was supposed to be for ancient Israel. The reason why and the mystery that Paul talked about in uh, Colossians 1 that he was entrusted with was that the church would largely be Gentile, that it would largely be non-Jewish people, mostly because uh, the ancient Israelites rejected Jesus. As a matter of fact, whenever Jesus was standing trial, so to speak, it was kind of a, uh, a kind of a fake trial. But in any case, 
they actually, the Jewish people, apparently they had a tradition uh, at their Passover, right? Um, to release a prisoner to them of their choice. At that time, it was Jesus, who we know as Jesus Christ, the one who is our Savior. And then there was this guy named Barabbas, who, interestingly enough, was what they call the zealots. He was of those kinds of people, basically seeking to restore the glory of the ancient Jewish kingdom, of which they thought Jesus was going to be the harbinger of, but it ended up being something completely different from what they thought it was going to be. And therefore, obviously, they largely rejected him. But Barabbas had led an uprising where he actually killed some folks. And actually, the ancient Israelites who were there said, no, we want Barabbas. Well, what should I do with this guy, Jesus, Pontius Pilate says? Crucify him, is what they said. You know, kill him. He didn't, he's not doing what we thought he was going to do. He's not going to free us from the Romans, so kill him. That's exactly what took place. And so God, in judgment, turned to the Gentiles, turned to the non-Jewish people, right? Interestingly enough, those who say that God is done with Israel, is they forget one glaring chapter in the Bible. Romans chapter 11. This blows my mind why people do this, but they do. Um, in verse 1, it says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Emphatically, right there, it's like, you know, Paul addresses it. He even says, by no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed all your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So this thought and idea of replacement theology honestly needs to be thrown down, thrown down the garbage disposal because it is a garbage theological position. It is not based on the scriptures. You really have to twist the scriptures. And you can really tell this kind of gets me fired up because it is such a, a perversion of God's word. And honestly, for very selfish gain, because the folks that are preaching this stuff of replacement theology, they have ulterior motives. I'm sorry. I think they do because they can make a lot of money. There's not a lot of money in saying, you know, basically that the tribulation is coming, uh, receive Jesus Christ to escape. And this world is going to be judged and utterly destroyed as far as how we know it currently. Right. Everything is going to be thrown on its head. Nobody wants to hear that message, you know, as far as like, you know, uh, across the world. But obviously there are people that are hungry and thirst for righteousness, such as I did back in the day. I just flocked to Jesus Christ in that moment when I realized who and what he was and what he offered to the world. And strangely enough, I just had this overwhelming love and desire to love the Jewish people. Um, it's, it's amazing to me how many actually don't. So if you're of these kinds of people who actually doesn't think that Israel has any place in the new covenant, you're, you're just so wrong. And I just, I just ask you to just search it out, um, actually study this stuff, and actually see that, no, God is not done with the Jewish people. He's not done with Israel. He actually, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15 into chapter 17 it's a covenant that's everlasting and only has God as the binding party. So in other words, we don't have to worry about 
any human side of this inter interaction to be obedient, to be still in force. God is still going to give the Jewish people this land, the descendants of Abraham this land. It's, it's an emphatic proof of scripture, and it just blows my mind that people just twist the scriptures this way. Anyway, so I'm going to wrap this up real quick with a verse in Galatians, I think, that says it best. This is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, and I've often said, too, that Jesus Christ is the cure for racism, right? So obviously, that's a uh, debate that's raging in our culture right now about racism and how to get rid of it. Jesus Christ is the way out of racism and any attitude of racism. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greeks, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's huge. I mean, think about this. This was written 2,000 years ago. So obviously he addresses the Jew versus the Greek, the Greek meaning Gentile or non-Jewish people. There is neither slave nor free, right? So it doesn't matter if you're a freed person or a slave. Back 2,000 years ago, slavery was very much a thing. So, and slaves were obviously, you know, very lowly people in the uh, societal uh, caste system, so to speak. And there is neither male nor female. That's even more huge because if you were a female, especially in ancient Israel, now granted, it's like, you know, under the law of Moses and the Mosaic law and the Levitical law, women were held in higher esteem than, say, the, uh, the Gentile nations around them, but they still were very much second-class citizens. Right. They actually had to stay in the outer courts of the temple. Right. They couldn't go into the inner courts because they were the ones who were of the group who actually caused the human race to sin in that particular um, mode of thought. In Genesis chapter three, obviously, Eve was the first one to eat. But Adam kind of just threw her under the bus by uh, just standing there and watching her eat the apple when he actually received the command of God and he could have stopped her. and He didn't. He kind of threw her under the bus. In my opinion, I think he was using her as a guinea pig, which doesn't say much about Adam. Anyway, so all that to say that basically there is no difference whatsoever. All Christians are equal. All right. And that includes Jewish people. Okay. So all this talk about the Jewish people, God is done with him, et cetera, whatnot. That could be, that couldn't be furthest from the truth. That is so false that I could just talk about this all day and get all riled up, but I won't do that. I'm just going to leave you with that thought. The reason why I think that a lot of Christians make a big deal about Israel and the Jewish people is because of the scriptures. It's because of exactly what the new covenant or actually who it was promised to. And if the first coming prophecies about Jesus Christ were fulfilled literally, why in the world would we then spiritualize away the future prophecies that have not happened yet? Just because it's been 2,000 years, it doesn't matter. I mean, look at the last hundred years. If ever I start doubting if if what I believe is the right thing, and it's like, well, maybe maybe they're on to something. I think about the last hundred years and about everything has just, you know, if you had a, uh, a line graph and, you know, about the progression of the human race and you look around, say, the 1900s and whatnot, you're going to see that line just shoot skyward because not only did the population explode, the technology exploded. And wars just exploded as far as what they'd been previously. Uh, earthquakes have exploded. Believe it or not, that is an actual thing. And on and on we go. We could go through all the things in Matthew 24. The current pandemic, pestilences, right? Everything Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. And he says, when you see all these things start happening, know that the summer is near. And he gave a, an example of the fig tree. 
I think it's kind of a duality. The fig tree was an oftentimes a picture of ancient Israel in the Old Testament. But it's also a thing, I mean, it's like if you see the tree start blossoming, you know that the, basically the summer is near. If you see all these things start happening and Israel's back in the land and they're back at being a corporate nation again, the end is just right around the corner. And I believe we are seeing, and especially the apathy in the church in regard to end times prophecy in ancient Israel, they couldn't care less. It's, I think that's a huge glaring sign, too, in fulfillment of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Anyway, so I'm going to wrap this up. I know it's a little bit longer for a tidbit, but it's one of my sore spots, and it's something I really just wanted to throw out into the internet and give thought to uh, every one of you who listen to this podcast. And if you want to know how to become part of this thing called the church, receive eternal life. And it's not about trying to do better or whatnot. It's actually about God giving you eternal life. And I want to tell you right now how you can receive that. So pay attention in the next segment coming up in a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life, and I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do, and your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God, and you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at disciplepov, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V 
at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.